This game is a war. It's time for the two-minute drill. Hurry it up, hurry it up, hurry it up. Powered by FanDuel Sportsbook, where you can make every moment more. Come on, let's go, you guys. Get in here, we gotta go fast now. Lafayette Christian Academy has a new head football coach. Hunter Landry will replace Trev Falk, who recently stepped down. Landry served as offensive coordinator for the past two seasons. The Knights averaged 41 points per game this past season, upping that to 58 points per game in postseason play. The World Series champion Houston Astros have named their top prospects for the 2023 season. The number one prospect is right-handed pitcher Hunter Brown, followed by catcher first baseman Yaner Diaz and outfielder Drew Gilbert. The LSU women's basketball team takes on Texas A&M tonight at 8. You can listen on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. The New Orleans Pelicans downed the Houston Rockets 119-108 last night. Six Pelicans scored in double figures, led by C.J. McCollum with 28. Najee Harris chipped in 16 points, 7 rebounds, and 4 assists. The Pelicans are 5-1 in games that Zion Williamson has missed this season. The New Orleans Saints close out their season against the Carolina Panthers this Sunday. Wednesday's injury report lists 11 players. The black and gold will finish with a sub-500 record for the second season in a row. The Pro Football Hall of Fame has announced 15 finalists for the class of 23. Notables include Dwight Freeney, Darrell Rivas, and Joe Thomas, along with Devin Hester. I'm Steve Wiley with your two-minute drill on the game. South West Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and World Series champion Houston Astros. The two-minute drill has been powered by FanDuel Sportsbook, where you can make every moment more. This weather update on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles is brought to you by Superior Contract Cleaning, Acadiana's top choice for flood, fire, and mold remediation. Visit superiorcontractcleaning.com. Bundle up this Thursday morning, much chillier outside with temperatures in the low to mid 40s. We will see more sunshine throughout the day, comfortably cool for the afternoon with highs approaching the upper 60s. For the live Doppler 10 Storm Team Weather Center, I'm Chris Cozart. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Head football coach is back in the SEC. He's going to be the offensive coordinator for Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M. We talked about this, that Jimbo was going to have to make some tough decisions this offseason after a season began as a preseason ranked number 10 or ranked in the top 10 in the preseason, resulted in a losing season, no bowl game, Many players transferring out, antiquated offense. He was going to have to shake things up. And sure enough, he reportedly has. 
bringing in Bobby Petrino. Hello. This could be fun. It could also be an absolute train wreck. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. I'm joined in the studio by Miss Hannah Five Names. We've got a good show lined up for you today. Going to be talking LSU, the Bobby Petrino hire, and the College Football National Championship game with Glenn Gilbo from OutKick. That'll be coming up at 7.30. At 8 o'clock, we're going to talk New Orleans Pelicans. They got a win last night, even without Zion Williamson. It was against the Woeful Rockets, but a win's a win. And New Orleans Saints with lessees from CrescentCitySports.com. And then we're going to be talking the latest with the Cincinnati Bengals with our friend John Sheeran. How do they bounce back from the Monday night football game where we had the just huh, unprecedented moment of someone nearly dying on the field so those are our guests that we have lined up for you today we'll touch on all the topics of the day as well talk a little McNeese hoops UL hoops as well and we'll unveil our poll question of the day but we're going to start off with the Bobby Petrino news great offensive mind Always has been. And he worked his way up from like Weber State and Carroll and Idaho. Got up to Nevada. Worked his way up as position coach early in his career in the 80s and the 90s. Spent a little time in the NFL with the Jacksonville Jaguars as a quarterback coach and an OC. And that success actually helped pave the way for him to get the the OC job at Auburn, which he then turned into the head coaching job at Louisville. And he was good. Aggressive, offensive-minded guy. Didn't mind getting after it. And four years at Louisville, Bobby Petrino built the Cardinals into a national power. 11 wins in 2004, 12 wins in 2006. Only the second and third times in the program's history, they won as many as 11 games in a season. 2006 in particular, they spent a ton of time as a contender for the national championship, rising as high as third in the country. And they went to the Orange Bowl that year. But six months, less than six months, after signing a 10-year contract to stay at Louisville, Bobby Petrino heads back to the NFL to be the head football coach of the Atlanta Falcons. It did not go well. Five-year, $24 million deal. He didn't even make it the year. Didn't even make it a year. He was brought in to help develop Michael Vick as a quarterback. But Vick got embroiled with the illegal dogfighting operation. 
terrible timing, obviously. So you had to deal with a bunch of backups like Chris Redman and Joey Harrington and Byron Lefwich. On December 10th of that year, the Falcons were at the bottom of the NFC South with a 3-10 record. And Bobby Petrino resigned as head football coach of the Falcons. Didn't even make it a full season. Didn't say bye to his players. Didn't even address his players. The man just simply said, I'm done. I quit. Got on a plane and became the head coach of the Arkansas Razorbacks less than 24 hours later. So that's a classy move, right? <laughs> but that's not what makes Bobby's return to the SEC so special. Paid a lot of money to come to Arkansas. They struggled at first, but they did start showing improvement, specifically with their offense. And if you remember, in 2010, Arkansas went 10-2 and and made their first major bowl appearance in two decades when they took on Ohio State. Sugar Bowl. So, the guy can coach. We know this. Offensive-minded as well. Arkansas also won the 2012 Cotton Bowl, defeating K-State. He had Arkansas winning 10, 11 games a year, just like he had at Louisville. Offensive-minded coach, developing quarterbacks, so forth and so forth. And then, of course, in April of 2012, he had the motorcycle accident where a violent motorcycle accident. Of course, there's the famous images of him in a press conference with a neck brace and a scarred-up, road-burned face talking to the media. Of course, that wasn't all of the story because we find out later, which this is what cost him his job at Arkansas, is that... He was also riding with a former Arkansas All-SEC volleyball player, Jessica Durrell, who he hired hired as a student-athlete development coordinator for the football program. Oh, he was also having an affair with her. There it is. There it is. So he lied about anybody else being on the motorcycle with him initially, then admitted that she was on the motorcycle with him and then had to admit that, yes, he had hired her and, oh, yeah, he was having an affair with her. Well, guess what? That cost Bobby his job. That cost Bobby his profession. He became toxic. No one touched him. He stayed out of coaching for a couple of years, came back for one season at Western Kentucky as the head coach, once again, you pay the piper, just like Hugh Freeze had to go to Liberty, right? You have to go to a lower classification, you know, lower school to kind of be able to rehab your image, let people forget that, you know, you hired, you know, someone to work underneath you and, you know, then you were sleeping with them. And then you lied about being in a wreck with them. <laughs> but then he goes back to Louisville. So it's been about a decade since Bobby was actually in the SEC, since 
scandal and poor decisions cost him millions of dollars. Cost him a ton. Was at Louisville for a few years. The last couple years, he's even been at a lesser division, Missouri State. That's not FBS football. It's just not. And he struggled. Now, he had a great run of success at Louisville, if you remember, with Lamar Jackson, who won the Heisman, became a first-round draft pick, and is a former league MVP for the Baltimore Ravens. So he had a great run there. But after Lamar left for the NFL, things went down in a hurry in Louisville. They went 2-8 and eight in 2018. A seven-game losing streak, big-time blowout losses against the likes of Clemson and Syracuse. In those two games alone that year, they lost by a combined 131-39. to Louisville fired Petrino after that. So he had to go to Missouri State, where he's been at for a couple years. And in this offseason, he agreed to be the offensive coordinator at UNLV. But that only lasted four months because Jimbo Fisher came a-calling. The question for me is, can he still coach? If you're Bobby Petrino, you jump at this chance to go to Texas A&M because this gives you a chance to get back into the SEC. This gets gives you a chance to get your career back on track. Winning five games a year at Missouri State, not getting the job done. His last four years as a head coach, five and six, eight and four, five and five, two and eight. Those at Louisville and Missouri State. It's a legitimate question to ask, does Bobby Petrino still have what it takes to coach offense in the modern era of football? Remember, he had Lamar Jackson at Louisville. Lamar Jackson's a generational talent. It's a lot easier to coach when you have those, right? Can this guy still have it, or is this just simply desperation by Jimbo Fisher to try to do something, to try to make something happen with his offense? Is this, is this a move that can help Jimbo? Remember, Nick Saban did something similar years ago where he needed to change with the times. He needed to get more dynamic on offense, so he brought in a guy that had baggage in Lane Kiffin. Now, Lane Kiffin's baggage is nowhere even remotely near the atmosphere that is Bobby Petrino's. But Kiffin was a guy no one wanted to touch. Left Tennessee high and dry after one year. That sounds a little bit similar to what Bobby Petrino did to the Falcons, doesn't it? Fired from two jobs as the head coach of the Oakland Raiders as the head coach of the USC Trojans. 
But Kiffin was young. And young. So you come to get coached there at Alabama and to learn Saban's system. And to do so, you have to put aside your own ego and your own pride, right? That's the only way it works. That's the only way that that works. Bobby Petrino is not a young man. I understand Jimbo trying to do something. But an aging football mind who's been disgraced more than a few times and who struggled to win at Missouri State and struggled to win after Lamar Jackson left Louisville, is that the guy to change Texas A&M's fortunes on offense? And not to mention, you're talking about two very prideful, stubborn, older guys. Are they going to be able to put their stuff aside and actually come together to do something? It's fascinating to me. It's a little bit of a surprise. It reeks of desperation, but it could also work. And once again, this is the SEC. The bottom line is winning. They don't care about your baggage. They don't care about anything else. Can you win? Okie dokie. Come on down. But this does tell me that Jimbo is being told by administrators or boosters or whoever is running Texas A&M that, hey, bud, we're paying you a lot of money. It's not getting done. You need to do something to fix this offense and fix it in a hurry. So you go back up, you know, the truck and go get Bobby to come be your offensive coordinator. Will it work? We don't know, but it's absolutely fascinating. We got to take a timeout. When we return, New Orleans Pelicans didn't have Zion Williamson. He's out with the hammy. Wasn't a problem last night against the woeful Houston Rockets. We'll talk about it next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station. New Orleans Pelicans. Life without Zion Williamson. Unfortunately, they've had a lot of that of late. Well, his entire career. Injuries have played a significant role in his career, unfortunately, so far. And last night, the Pels took to the court for the first time since Zion suffered the hamstring injury. And we realized that Zion was going to be out for at least three weeks. Remember, he's going to be reevaluated in three weeks. Reevaluated in three weeks. Whether or not he comes back in three weeks remains to be seen. I doubt it. 
especially with the Pelicans' front office and how they deal with Zion, they're probably going to be more safe than sorry. Or, as what Hannah Five Names said off the air the other day, thanks, Zion, for the rest of the season. And for a lot of folks, you can't not think that way, right? Because, remember, he was supposed to play last season. He never did. We've heard that, you know, even go all the way back to summer league when he was supposed to, you know, when he first got into the league. It's like, oh, we're going to see more Zion. No, you're not. Done. They're going to be cautious with Zion. So do I expect him when he gets reevaluated in three weeks to be ready to go? Nope. So no B.I., no Zion. They're banged up in a big way. But you know what's the best thing for that? Playing the worst team in the NBA, the Houston Rockets. The Rockets are absolutely dreadful. I don't know what their vision is. I don't know if they're in the midst of tanking every season. Are they trying to draft poorly? I'm not for sure what's going on in H-Town with the Rockets. I just know they're a 10-win team. That's not good. They're not good. And the Pelicans, well, they took advantage of it. No B.I., no Zion was not a problem as they win 119-108 to last night inside the Smoothie King Center. Four of the five starters for the Pels scored in double figures. They had two players come off the bench scoring double figures. Leading the way was C.J. McCollum, the vet. Played 35 minutes, more than anyone else on the team. Made five three-pointers last night as he dropped 28 points. Najee Marshall and Valachunas contributed 16 points apiece. Valachunas also had 17 rebounds, 13 of them defensively. Oh, man. That's a guy doing the dirty work for you. Trey Murphy, two three-pointers. He gave you 14 points as well. And then off the bench, Willie and Jose Alvarado gave you 14 and 13 respectively. And this is what they're going to have to do. Some playing time for Dyson Daniels as well, the rookie that everyone's so high on. Jackson Hayes, I thought he would have played more, especially with Zion out. But he only played 16 minutes. But this may be what they do. It'll be interesting to see if this is going to be the lineup moving forward or this was just the lineup last night for the Houston Rockets. You use Valachunas as your, as your five, obviously. Herb Jones and Marshall as your forwards, your three and your fours. And then CJ and Trey. And then you just have everyone else come off the bench like Devontae Graham and Alvarado and Daniels. Go with kind of a more smaller lineup off the bench. A bunch of your guards. Could this work for them while Zion and B.I. are still out? Maybe. Or did it just work because you played the Houston Rockets? Who, as we have established are the worst team in the NBA. I don't know. They're going to lean on C.J. McCollum and Valachunas, though, because you know what you're going to be able to get from them. And then it's going to be who's going to be able to step up. You know McCollum and Valachunas are going to give you double-digit points every single night. Valachunas is probably going to give you a double-double. All right, so you're going to have yourself a chance to be competitive every single night because of those two guys alone. If Trey Murphy gets hot, 
hey, he's the three-point specialist, but last night he only made two threes, still gave you 14 points. Okay, that'll work. You probably are going to need during this stretch a little bit more offensive production from Herb Jones, even though that's not Herb's game, right? Herb's your best defensive player. He's in there as your lockdown defender. You don't necessarily need him to get you 15 points. It would be helpful if he did. Marshall has earned the right to be in the starting lineup. He's their sixth man. Two starters out. You put in Najee. Not a problem. But during this run without Zion and B.I., however long that lasts, remember, a majority of the games, we talked about this yesterday, the majority of the games are going to be on the road, which the Pelicans have struggled. They've struggled mightily playing on the road this year. Your starting five, Valachunas, McCullum, Murphy, Marshall, and Jones, you know what you're going to get out of those guys. But the strength of this Pelicans team has been its depth. Now you're taking one of those guys off the bench and Marshall and making him a starter. Who's going to pick up the slack? Because that's what it boils down to. Who's going to come and pick up the slack while Marshall is in the starting lineup? You're going to need more production from Jackson Hayes. Obviously, it looks like him and Hernan Gomez are splitting time which may be Willie Green's approach. Those two guys can come in and, and give Valachunas a breather while also kind of subbing in for where Zion would be on the floor. Jose Alvarado is going to have to play at a higher level as well. And you're going to need more out of the rookie Daniels. They can survive this stretch. They can. They have enough talent to do it but they're going to have to have some of these guys step up that haven't really been asked to step up all that much this season. Last night they did, but once again, last night, a 119-108 victory was over the Houston Rockets, who is, who are by far the worst team in the association. we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we're going to unveil the poll question of the day. And then we're also going to talk about the finalists for the modern era for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It is an extensive list. Who's going to possibly get in and be enshrined in Canton, Ohio? We'll talk about that next right here on The Game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. A recent survey discovered that game listeners prefer our station than going to the dentist. Take that, dental hygiene. This is The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Lafayette Marble and Granite, they offer the largest selection of granite quartz and marble in Acadiana. And trust me, Chris and his team over there, they appreciate the opportunity to earn your business. They did with me. A few years back, we had to do a bathroom remodel. The wife was struggling to find the marble she wanted and the cut that she wanted. Well, guess what? LMG took care of us. Not only did we find 
the exact marble my wife wanted in the exact cut. Customer service was phenomenal. And they truly want to earn your business. And look, you've heard me tell you before, they offer more than just show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens, your bathrooms, and your man caves. They also now have an extensive selection of custom shower builds with a new line of grout-free showers. Make sure to visit their website, lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com to learn more about all the sensational services and tremendous products they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. Visit lmgelite.com. That's lmgelite.com. Or stop by their renovated showroom located right there on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford and the Jockey Lot. It's Lafayette Marble and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. Poll question of the day is about our top story of the day. Bobby Petrino being hired to be the new offensive coordinator for Texas A&M. Jimbo Fisher getting, oh man, Jimbo's trying to do something. It's not worked out at Texas A&M with the exception of the COVID season where they nearly made the playoff. Everything else has been somewhat mediocre, and this year was even worse. No team has more players in the NCAA transfer portal than Texas A&M. They missed the bowl game. The one thing they got going for them is that they hung tough with Alabama and, and they beat LSU. That's it. Shaking up the staff. And he's bringing in Bobby Petrino, a great offensive-minded coach who had success at Louisville and at Arkansas, but also didn't even last one season with the Atlanta Falcons before doing them dirty and leaving in the middle of the night to take the Arkansas job and not telling his players. And then, of course, hiring a former female student-athlete to work underneath him while he had an affair with her and then was involved in a motorcycle wreck with her, and then lied about that too. But everyone deserves a second chance. And in the SEC, they're all about second chances because it just means more. So we asked you, what do you make of Texas A&M hiring Bobby Petrino? Is it a good hire? Is it a desperate hire? Or is it a bad hire? Go vote. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. And just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. And we'll make sure to share your comments throughout today's edition of RP3 and Company. NFL wrapping up its regular season. Be interesting to see how both the Buffalo Bills and the Cincinnati Bengals respond to their games this coming weekend after what occurred on Monday Night Football. I can guarantee you, I think both teams are probably a little torn on even being forced to have to play a game this week. Where are they at mentally? Where's their minds at? Are they still thinking about what occurred Monday? And rightfully so. They're gearing up for that and what's going to happen and how they're going to figure out the playoff seeding. Because once again, Buffalo and Cincinnati are right there, two and three in the standings. Do you just give them a tie? 
How does that work? Once again, Cincinnati was leading Buffalo in that game before it was abruptly halted because a player had to be brought back to life, essentially, after suffering cardiac arrest on the field. While the NFL is trying to figure that out, and what I think is going to happen is that they're just going to play their games this week and that they're not going to try to make up this game. They'll probably end up ruling it as a no contest or just rule it as a tie. That's what I think is going to happen. But while the NFL is wrapping up its regular season and heading into the playoffs, we find out yesterday who the finalists are for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, at least the modern era finalist. Three first-time eligible players and a player who has waited 25 years highlight the list of 15 finalists for the Pro Football Hall of Fame's class of 2023. And there's some really great players on this list. And this is going to make it really, really tough to figure out who's going to be put in Canton, Ohio this coming summer. Joe Thomas, a 10-time Pro Bowl selection, six-time first-team All-Pro offensive tackle, feels like a lock to me. Former Miami Dolphin. No, not Miami Dolphin, sorry. Joe Thomas, former longtime Cleveland Brown, who never got to taste the playoffs. A great player for a terrible team. <laughs> just just awful, awful. Might have been the best tackle of his generation and got to be wasted with one franchise. Joe Thomas feels like a lock to me. Daryl Rivas, who was considered the best lockdown corner maybe of his generation, He's a finalist. He feels like a guy that's probably going to get in because of how highly regarded he is. Dwight Freeney, pass rusher, Super Bowl champion as well for the Indianapolis Colts. All three of those guys are finalists in their first year of eligibility. So it feels like Thomas, Revis, and Freeney are probably in of the 15 modern era finalists. Interesting, cornerback Albert Lewis, who played his last game back in 1998, has waited through the customary five-year period after retirement to go with 20 years of eligibility to be named a finalist for the first time. It's interesting that all of a sudden Albert is getting a push. But some of your other finalists for the class of 2023, Jared Allen, great pass rusher, had probably his best part of his career during that long stretch with the Minnesota Vikings. Rondé Barber is a finalist yet again. I feel like Rondé deserves to be in. He was great for the Tampa Bay Bucks. Devin Hester's on the list again. One of the greatest return specialists ever. Is that enough to put him in? Torrey Holt, part of the greatest show on turf, Rams teams. He's on there. Andre Johnson. 
who's always in the conversation of being the best wide receiver of his generation. He's on, he, on there as a finalist as well. Former Miami Dolphins linebacker Zach Thomas, former Dallas Cowboy and Denver Bronco, DeMarcus Ware, Reggie Wayne, another wide receiver, Patrick Willis, linebacker, and Darren Woodson, safety. Of all of those players, only Woodson was not a finalist last year, and Holt has now been a finalist four times. The Hall of Fame's board of selectors will meet in the coming weeks to choose a maximum of five modern era finalists for enshrinement. So that's interesting, right? You could make an argument for the majority of those 15 guys that are finalists. They can only elect a maximum of five. So you're going to have some great players, generational players, not get in. The log jam at wide receiver continues, right? Just look on who's a finalist for this year. Just at the wide receiver spot, Reggie Wayne, Andre Johnson, Torrey Holt, Devin Hester. Now, Hester was more of a return guy, but still. We're in the process right now of of having the log jam at wide receiver when it comes to the Hall of Fame. Not all those guys are getting in. Joe Thomas feels like a lock. He's the most decorated player of all the group. Ten Pro Bowls in 11 seasons. Played his entire career with the Cleveland Browns. And he only had one season with a winning record, by the way. One. Freeney, Revis, Thomas seem like locks to me. So then it comes down to who are the other two guys that are going to get in. The three first-year guys are locks to me. Thomas, Revis, and Freeney. So who are going to be the other two guys that are going to be enshrined? Because once again, remember... They can only put in a maximum of five. That's it. If both Thomas and Revis are enshrined this coming year, by the way, it's an interesting thing. They would join wide receiver Calvin Johnson as Hall of Famers among the first 14 selections in that draft. Of course, Calvin Johnson, great wide receiver for the Detroit Lions. If I had to look... I'm looking at this list. Who are the other two that are probably going to join? Thomas, Revis, and Freeney? Oh, it's tough. It's really tough. I think you make a really good argument for Patrick Willis. He was an absolute phenomenal linebacker. You can make an argument for DeMarcus Ware as well. great pass rusher and Jared Allen it's going to be man that's going to be tough it's going to be tough who deserves it I mean where probably deserves it Willis you know Darren Woodson he's been on the ballot a while now but don't forget about Torrey Holt once again, we're talking about that log jam at wide receiver. Torrey's been on the has been a finalist now four times. Probably this will be Torrey's chance to get in. And Andre Johnson, Reggie Wayne will just have to wait. 
So if I, if I had to guess, and once again, I'm not in that room, but if I had to guess the five modern era finalists, the five players that are going to be selected from the modern era for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Joe Thomas, Darrell Rivas, Dwight Freeney, I believe Torrey Holt's going to be one of the other ones. And I'm going to go on a limb. I say it may be DeMarcus Ware. But, oh man, you're going to have some great players not make it in. And by the way, that's how it should be. You shouldn't be struggling to find guys to put into a Hall of Fame class. It should be the best of the best. Take note. Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. Just saying. We got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up our number one coming up next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and World Series champion Houston Astros. Uh, poll question of the day on this slightly brisk Thursday morning here on RP3 and Company. What do you make of Texas A&M hiring Bobby Petrino? Right now, 69% of you say it's a desperate hire. 31% say a good hire. No votes yet for a bad hire. John Paul, the Cajun daddy, says, I think it will work. Bobby is a guru when it comes to offense. The problem is, will Jimbo give up the offensive duties or will he put too much goop in Bobby's soup? I that, That's the thing. Bobby does have a good offensive mind. It hasn't been great of late. But he still has a good offensive mind. But you know what? Jimbo Fisher had a really good offensive mind for a long time, too. Can both men put aside their egos? Can both men actually work together? I don't know. I really don't. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming as well. Leave them on Facebook and Twitter, and we'll share them throughout today's show. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two coming up right here. On the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything, everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Bobby Petrino's headed back to the SEC as Jimbo Fisher. The Texas A&M head coach who feels like eh, he's dealing with being embattled right now, forcing to change up things, bringing in Bobby Petrino as his new offensive coordinator. Once again, they've been paying a ton of money to Jimbo, and it's resulted in no division titles, no significant bowl wins, no college football playoff appearances. They have the bazillion overtime win over LSU. And they have a win over LSU last year. And they have hanging tough against Alabama last year. That's what they got. That's what they have on the resume. 
That's what they're paying an enormous amount of money to Jimbo for is that. In this past year, losing record, they have more players in the NCAA transfer portal than any program in the country. Got to do something. Got to try to stop the bleeding. Got to try to stabilize the program. Got to try to get back to where you need to be. And Jimbo was a great offensive mind 20 years ago. But he has not adapted to the new times. Can bringing in Bobby Petrino actually do that? And I don't know. It's a fascinating hire. It's going to be a fascinating marriage, if you will, between two head coaches, one now having to be offensive coordinator. Both of them have immense baggage. Both of them know that this needs to work. If Bobby can come to Texas A&M and turn around their offense and make it not so pedestrian and antiquated and help make Texas A&M a contender, Bobby's going to get another head coaching job in the SEC or in the Big 12. So Bobby's got something to prove here. The only problem with that is that Bobby hasn't been good for a while. He just hasn't. Averaging five and a half wins at Missouri State, not getting the job done. Remember, Louisville fired him. Fired him. He coached Lamar Jackson to a Heisman, and then they fired Bobby for the second time around. Because the program tanked. It cratered. Sounds eerily similar to what happened with Jimbo at Florida State, doesn't it? So Bobby hasn't had that offensive magic, hasn't had that, you know, buzz about him in a minute. It's been a while. So much so that he wasn't even currently a head coach. He struggled to be a head coach at Missouri State. He was going to be the offensive coordinator for UNLV. So Bobby Petrino has a resume. Bobby Petrino has had great success in the past. But that's been in the past. Guy is 61 years old. Struggled as a head coach in Missouri State. Lost his job and was fired by Louisville. And the best opportunity that he had in front of him was to be the offensive coordinator for UNLV. Is that the guy that's going to change the fortunes of the Texas A&M offense for Jimbo Fisher? I don't know. Take away the baggage. Put away the baggage of how he dealt with being an NFL coach with the Atlanta Falcons and just the absolute scumminess of his tenure at Arkansas where he hired a former student-athlete to work underneath him and then had an affair with her and then lied about the affair and lied about the motorcycle accident that involved her, which cost him his job, obviously. But take all that aside. Push aside the baggage because we've seen coaches with baggage being able to kind of rehab their image and, and help a team win. We, we've seen that before, right? But Bobby's 61 years old. Bobby was coaching 
at a lower level as a head coach and didn't do a good job there at Missouri State. Last time he played, last time he was in FBS football, he was fired. And the guy literally had accepted a position to be the offensive coordinator at UNLV. That, that was the best option for him. Is this the guy that's going to help turn around Texas A&M's offense? Is Jimbo and Bobby going to play well together? I just don't know. It feels a bit like a desperation move to me. Now leads us to our poll question of the day. What do you make of Texas A&M hiring Bobby Petrino? Is it a good hire? Is it a bad hire? Or is it a desperate hire? 67% of you say it's a desperate hire. 19% say it's a good hire. 14% say it's a bad hire. John Paul, Cajun Daddy, also shared the, the famous memo <laughs> that he sent out you know, resigning as the Atlanta Falcons coach and just marked it out and addressed it to UNLV instead. Who that forever just shared a gif of Charlie Murphy just laughing from a skit from the Chappelle show, and I'm here for it all day long. I just am. I just, I just am. Steve, our buddy Salty Steve, Good poll question. Here's my thoughts. It's more about the Jimmys and Joes than the X's and O's. Everybody looks like a genius with great players. Insminger looked like one when he had Burrow. If you don't have the players, it doesn't matter what you scribble on the chalkboard. That's a fair point. That's an excellent point by Steve. But didn't they have all these talented recruits last season? And they didn't do anything. So... That's the interesting thing about the Texas A&M situation, right? This isn't Alabama Lane Kiffin, and Lane had his own baggage, not nearly as severe as what Bobby Petrino brings to the table. But it was an established program that was already winning, but had dipped down a little bit because it couldn't deal with spread-based offenses. So they needed to come have someone come in and change the offense for them to adjust. And they brought in a younger coach like Lane Kiffin to be able to do that. And they already had the players. AM had great, talented recruits. It just didn't come together. And now you have the most players in the NCAA transfer portal from one team from Texas AM. You have an aging coach who has an antiquated offense bringing in another aging coach who is leaving the UNLV OC job to come be your OC. I, I just don't know. It feels desperation to me. It just does. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on Reynolds to the show. Reynolds, good morning to you, brother. How you doing, my friend? What's on your mind? Good. I agree 100% with you. I, I think it's a desperate move, and I think it's a bad hire at the same time because, I mean, you have two head, older head coaches. You can't tell me they're not going to butt heads. And you're right. I was thinking the same thing with Lane Kiffin and uh, Nick Saban. Nick Saban, everyone knew that he ruled the roost. And he had a good team. He had established players. All Lane Kiffin had to go do was establish his offense. Now, from what I remember, they did have some tension there for a while. Oh, yeah. But I I really don't see this happening at Texas A&M because – if you have a head coach who's offensive-minded that can't get the job done, 
what makes you think that two older head coaches will get the job done? I, I, it befuddles me. It, it screams desperation. It does. And, look, we've seen this before where guys are kind of feeling a little bit of heat, right? And we've seen this even in the SEC where they bring in a name to help turn things around, yeah. whether it's on defense or offense, and it doesn't work, and then both of them are unemployed a year later, right? So th- this is what it kind of feels like because it feels like they're starting to kind of ramp up the pressure on Jimbo, even though he has that enormous buyout that is is essentially the budget of the, of the state of Louisiana um, for Louisiana government. That's going to be what it's going to take to buy out Jimbo. But it does feel like they're starting to clamp down on some pressure here on Jimbo to go, hey, uh, you, you got to do something. You got to change it. We're not spending all this money and doling out all this NIL money for these recruits only to have them leave after six months because your offense stinks. So, yeah, that's what it feels like. The thing is, uh, too, Lee Petrino, I mean, really, he hasn't done anything at Missouri State. Nope. And really, if you think about it, when he was at Louisville, he had Lamar Jackson. So what if he didn't have Lamar Jackson on that offense? Would he have done anything? So you have to throw that into the mix. That's correct. So I, and what and, and what happened? Know, what happened after? What happened after Lamar Jackson left? The program cratered. So it, he, it tanked. Yeah, right. it tanked. So, uh, uh, man, I, I just don't understand that. I think he would have been better going after a younger. Um, Hungry assistant coach, maybe. Uh, I, I, he had to have more, more um, people in mind than just Petrino. I, I don't understand that. Yeah, I, I, I agree, brother. I appreciate the phone call. It'll be interesting to see how. Have it, a blessed day. Uh, you too. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with this marriage, if you will. And does Bobby Petrino still have anything left? Man's been coaching since the early 80s. <laughs> Him and Jimbo are, are, are roughly the same age. So you're not bringing in a young, offensive-minded coach. You're bringing in a name. You're bringing in a guy who's had, uh, on the resume, NFL talent that he's coached and developed. He's, had, uh, he's won a lot of games. But he also comes with a lot of baggage, and he hasn't won in a while. It's not as if, you know, you're bringing in Bobby after a great run somewhere else. No. Things didn't work out at Missouri State. Missouri State. He struggled to win more than five games at Missouri State. Once again, the best option in front of Bobby Petrino was being offensive coordinator at UNLV. UNLV. So, it'll be interesting to see what happens here with Jimbo and Petrino in College Station. Absolutely phenomenal. Keep voting on our poll question of the day. What do you make of Texas A&M hiring Bobby Petrino? That's our poll question of the day. 70% of you say it's a desperate hire 17% 17% say a good hire. 13% say it's a bad hire. Ton on Twitter says this is pathetic. Beyond pathetic, AM is so desperate right now. I don't care how great he is. 
you don't need that baggage. I mean, at least it's A&M. Not like they can look worse. <laughs> oh, but they can. Oh, but they can. Not to worry. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and company, we're going to shift gears a little bit from Bobby Petrino being hired at Texas A&M. We're going to talk a little McNeese men's basketball here from John Aiken. Big game tonight for the Cowpokes. After starting off Southland Conference play with a win on the road at Lamar, they're going to be taking on Northwestern State, one of the better teams that have notched a couple of really good non-conference wins. It's a rivalry game. Oh, and on top of it, Joe Dumars is going to be in the house as they name the court after him. We'll hear from Coach John Aiken coming up next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Here on RP3 and Company, everyone is apparently part of the game family. Brother, 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 brother. Seriously, how many brothers does Ray have? Good morning to you, brother. Back to Ray and all of his brothers right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Yeah, they're good. Uh, obviously, they had one of the best non-conference seasons that a Southland team has had in a while. Um, you know, they had wins at Stephen F., at TCU. Uh, they beat Monroe pretty good. Uh, wins against Central Arc and Bethune. They're a good team. Uh, they've got three guards that transferred to Northwestern with their head coach, played for Corey at Missouri State. I've known Corey, so when I was at Tennessee Martin, Corey was at Austin P as an assistant. So we've kind of gone back and forth, so I know Corey. Um, his assistant, Rodney Hamilton, was at Tennessee State when I was there, so there's some familiarity with their staff. And they've just done a really good job. Um, it's a unique group in that that three-headed monster is a legit three-headed monster. I mean, I want to say against Baylor or A&M, they took like 90% of the shots. Um, they're going to get a lot of shots up. There's a reason why all three of them came to play for them. Uh, and so they're going to get opportunities. DeMarcus Sharp is as good a point guard as there is in our conference. Uh, he can get to spots, and he takes tough twos. But he can get to him and he can make him. He had a game winner against Southern Miss in a corner. I think he's been player of the week twice. Um, Jamonte Black's probably as good a shooter as we're going to face. Uh, Isaac Haney can really fill it up and it's just tough, gritty. It's John Aiken, McNeese second-year men's basketball coach, talking about tonight's matchup there at the Legacy Center versus Northwestern State. The Demons, they're pretty good. They really are. You know, new head coach there. Mike McConathy, a, a, a staple of Louisiana coaching, retired. They brought in a new coach, and they've got all to a very, very good start. And this is a matchup between McNeese, who's four and ten overall, one and zero in Southland play, against the Demons, who are eight and six overall. But interesting enough, they lost their conference opener. Southland feels kind of wide open. But Northwestern State, man, they have just played so well, so well this season, especially in the non-conference slate. They've looked really, really good. And this is going to be a challenge. This is going to be a good challenge for McNeese, who obviously won its opener against Lamar. And when you look at it, Northwestern State's schedule, they lost their opener against nationally ranked Texas Tech. 
They lost a close game to Illinois State, but then they turned around and beat ranked TCU, who was ranked 15th at the time. Then they beat Illinois State. They beat Central Arkansas. They beat Stephen F. Austin, put up 102 on Stephen F. Austin. They beat Southern Miss. They beat ULM. So they've beaten two teams out of the Sun Belt. They lost to Rice, but they've they've hit a bit of a skid here, which is interesting. After such a strong start with so many wins against bigger competition, everything's kind of gone sideways since losing at Rice. Then they lost to Baylor at Texas A&M. And you're like, okay, losing to Baylor, nationally ranked, then losing to A&M, that's a team out of the SEC, even though A&M's down this year. But then they opened up conference play losing at home in Natchitoches at Prather Coliseum to Texas A&M Corpus Christi. So you know Northwestern State's going to be motivated. But here's the thing. McNeese is going to be motivated as well because the ceremony is going to be held tonight. Joe Dumars, the greatest player in program history, Louisiana Sports Hall of Famer, Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer, two-time world champion as a player, world champion as an executive, is having the court named after him. They're going to do that in between the women's game, which will be tipping off earlier, also against Northwestern State. And then they're going to have a ceremony in between the women's game and the men's game tonight to honor Joe. His family's going to be in attendance the whole nine yards. It's going to be a special night for McNeese there at the Legacy Center. And Coach Aiken was asked, what does it mean to have Joe Dumars himself be from McNeese and represent the Cowboys. Having a guy like Joe Dumars with his name on the court, with the, um, not a shrine, but whatever the thing to him in the, the hallway, when you walk in, you can point to, man, you can become that from here, you know, and um, it says a lot. I think just having his name on the court for years to come, everyone that comes in here will be reminded of what Joe did uh, and the possibilities that can come from a place like McNeese. Um, and so, yeah, it's an unbelievable opportunity for us. I'm extremely humbled. I mean, I'm a just, I, I say all the time, I'm just a kid from Maine that grew up loving the 80 Celtics and the biggest rivalry at that point in time was the Bad Boy Pistons. Uh, and so for me to be in a position where I'm the head coach of a program that at one point in time had a guy like Joe Dumars is an incredible blessing. I'm very humbled. Um, I mean, it's, I pinch myself sometimes that I'm in this situation. And so it's going to be an awesome night. Uh, thankful that I get to be on the sidelines to see it. Uh, very honored to be a part of it. And it's going to be tremendous for the community, for the university, everybody involved. And it would be even more amazing if they could get a win. You know, I Menisa's mean, non-conference schedule was brutal, right? Having to play Tennessee, Iowa State, a bunch of ranked teams, big boy basketball. But to start off conference play 2-0, and defeating your rival while you're honoring your program's greatest player, that's, uh, that's, you know, that's the dream, right? That's what you would love to be able to do. And Manisa's going to have a chance here because Aiken and his staff, they kind of tweaked things early in the season where they decided to go to more of a small ball lineup, right, where they even even – don't necessarily have that big post presence. It's more guard-centric with what they want to do. And he talked about what he likes offensively with having that small ball lineup out there on the court. You know, it, 
it just spaces the floor way better offensively. Uh, it allows one, like Roberts Berze is a guy that has just earned more playing time. And so we've had to find ways to get him on the court. And you've got a, just kind of a jumble of guys at the one, two, and three when you've got Trey and John John and Donovan and Zach and Harwin. That's five guys. And if you throw Berze into the mix, now you've got six guys competing for three spots. Uh, it's just not really sustainable to rotate that many guys in three positions. And then the way that Christian was playing at the four, um, I, we didn't feel like he was being the most efficient version of himself, I guess to put it politely. And so we just said, let's get him back around the rim to where he's really efficient. And by putting him around the rim, it opens up more opportunities. So now you've got six guys rotating in four spots. Um, just from a math standpoint, works out better. So, and, and it started to work for them, right? And one of the things that you heard him mention there, Christian, Christian Shoemate, preseason uh, honoree, all, uh, member, all-conference preseason player. It, this kid is special. He can do a lot of things. And look, they finally have started to kind of just let him play his game and just kind of go, hey, you know what, Christian? Just play your game. They were trying to make him do other things. They, they, they were trying to take a you know round peg, put it in a square hole, or square peg in a round hole, however you want to phrase it. It wasn't working. So Aiken and his staff said, you know what? We're going to change up Christian's role, and it's paid off in a big way lately in the last couple of weeks for the McNeese Cowboys, and Aiken spoke about changing Christian's role. Yeah, he's way more efficient. I mean – from a prospect standpoint, I mean, the, you always want to try to like grow your guys' game and help them as they try to grow and whatever. At the end of the day, I just told them, we're, we're asking you to do things that you're not great at yet. And so we're going to ask you to do things you're great at and the things you're good at, do less of. The things you're not even good at, don't do. Um, so let's just try to do the things you're great at more. And that's being around the rim, rebounding the basketball, running the rim. Uh, we now have, literally, we have a stat. Coach Moynihan, I changed some assignments with our staff, too, and Moynihan is tracking our offensive stuff. Uh, we have a, a just, how many times has Christian touched the ball in the post? Like, that's a, I want to know. And like, when we did against Lamar, we scored seven out of ten possessions. That doesn't mean he scored, but we scored seven out of the ten possessions that he touched it in the paint. Um, obviously, that's pretty efficient. And so we've got to figure out how to continue to do more of that. That's the best way to utilize him. Because even if he's not the one scoring what he's doing, he's kicking it out to that small ball lineup, and they're able to get buckets. McNeese, Northwestern State tonight, I will be in attendance. We'll be covering it for the station as well. We'll do some things on social media. There'll be a gallery of the festivities and everything. It's going to be a big-time event. Once again, it's a conference game against their rival, a big one for them, McNeese, Northwestern State, but also Joe Dumars being honored with the court being named after him in between the women's game and the men's game tonight inside the Legacy Center. It should be a special night for the Cowboys. We got to take a timeout. When we return, our first guest, Glenn Gilbo, columnist from OutKick. We're going to talk LSU football. We're going to talk college football playoff semifinals and Monday's national championship game between TCU and Georgia with Glenn. That's all coming up next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. RP3 is known across Acadiana as a master of the English language. 
You look at all the guys that they got. Clinton Anukoraru. Oof. And I don't know how to pronounce this young man's name. TJ Falola. More like a master of broken English, that is. They also added an inside linebacker, Casey Wasawi. These names are killing me, man. I even practiced last night. Me fail English? That's impossible. Now back to that silky smooth delivery of RP3 and company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Bobby Petrino headed to College Station. That's our poll question of the day. What do you make of the hire? Is it a good hire? Is it a bad hire? Is it a hire that reeks of desperation? You've heard me chime in. I, I, look, Bobby, his resume, he has lots of success on it. Has lots of success with quarterbacks. He's an offensive-minded guy. But... It's been a minute since he's been a winner. He didn't work out at Missouri State where he struggled to win five games a year. His last year at Louisville, they cratered, and he was fired. And his best option available to him this coaching cycle was being the OC for UNLV. Is that the guy that's going to turn around Texas A&M's offense? I just, I don't know. I don't know. But you know what? We're about to bring on someone who may be able to give us some insight. A gentleman who's covered college football for decades, an award-winning columnist and reporter, formerly of the Baton Rouge Advocate, Mobile Press Register, USA Today Network. He now works for OutKick, and he also is the co-author of the Skip Burtman story, which is available now to purchase. Our old friend Glenn Gilbo joins us now. Glenn, good morning to you, brother. Happy New Year to you and your family, my friend. Good morning. Good morning. Happy New Year, Ray. How are you? I'm doing well, bud. I'm doing well. So I, I want someone who's covered this sport a long time. What's your initial thoughts of Bobby Petrino returning to the SEC and, and doing so as the offensive coordinator for Jimbo Fisher at Texas A&M? Well, funny you should ask. We 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 just published my column on that that I did uh, last night, kind of a deep dive. So that should be at the top of uh, outkick.com right now. But and I, I ended it with what a word you just used, uh, desperation. That that's what it looked like to me uh, for Jimbo and and A and M because you know they were trying to they interviewed Bobby back in December, uh, didn't hire him which says that he wasn't their first choice and then came back to him after they couldn't get Garrett Riley, yep. who stayed at TCU, couldn't get Philip Montgomery, who uh, got fired at Tulsa and became the Auburn offensive coordinator. And, and um, they were looking at some others, but I don't. I think they chose Petrino, from what I could tell, over uh, Kendall Browles, the offensive coordinator at uh, – Arkansas, as well as uh, Phil Longo, who uh, went to uh, Wisconsin as OC. But, um, you know, it's it's two old guys, Jimbo and Bobby, whose offense has kind of got passed, and they're, and they're struggling to, 
to refresh and update. You know, at one time Jimbo was one of the best, but uh, but not anymore. And Petrino's kind of the same way. You know, so it's it's kind of like the the two the two old guys and Lonesome Dove, if you will, <laughs> uh, trying to do one more cattle ride. But uh, you know, I, I do think the one good thing is that Bobby is older than Jimbo, and and Jimbo you know, has a lot of respect for Bobby from back in the day. So that's a guy he might listen to. I, I don't know if Jimbo would have been listening to, uh, you know, Garrett Riley or one of these other young guys in their 30s and 40s. You know, maybe he'd have tried to. But it's going to be, you know, this might work better from a, them getting along, but I don't know if the offense will be better. And really, I don't know how well they'll get along because Bobby Petrino has not been an assistant coach since 2002 other than, you know, the last three weeks. Um so it's going to be a lot of adjustment for both of those guys. Uh, Petrino working for somebody as a, an assistant and Jimbo not being the offensive coordinator. So it, it just <laughs> it looks like a match made in hell, really. And, and, and Glenn, you know, I, we've seen this in the SEC where guys will go humble themselves. And, and, and look, Nick Saban has created the – the uh, what that what I call the the coaching rehab clinic in Tuscaloosa, where hey, if you have baggage and you've been fired a couple of times, come to Tuscaloosa. Let me chew you out for a couple of seasons, and you're going to get another job. And it's worked out great there. But when he brought in Lane, Lane didn't have many options, and Lane knew that Saban was the king, and Saban had already won multiple national titles, right? So. It, you can buy in a little bit more there because Lane was the younger guy, even though they always had friction. It was still, hey, this is Nick's team. Bobby probably looks at Jimbo as an equal, right? This is not going to be, and it's not as if A&M has been dominating college football since Jimbo's been there. So that's my other question about that. I don't know if it necessarily works the same way. No, I don't think Bobby looks at Jimbo or anyone as an equal. That's, that's, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> but I think I think Jimbo may uh, Jimbo may mo- look more at Petrino as an equal to him than than the other way around. So so it might have a chance of working. But you know, I I just don't think uh, you know Bobby's going to really worry about what Jimbo wants to do or what he used to do. You know, I, I think it looks like I mean. Jimbo's marching orders were you quit calling plays and you get somebody who can. So, you know, if, if the question is going to be how much Jimbo uh, can handle that, because, I mean, he's been calling plays. Jimbo was actually calling plays before he was a coordinator when he was the quarterback's coach at Auburn in the early and mid-90s. He was calling the plays and then became an offensive coordinator later at Cincinnati and LSU. But um, So that's going to be a big adjustment uh, for him. But you know, the big thing is, too, is, you know, both of those guys have been kind of living off what they used to do, or, or in Jimbo's case, not living well off of what he used to do. So, you know, so they, they still need some uh, some new ideas, I think, you know. Uh, so I, I just don't know how it's going to work. Let's switch over to LSU because there was lots of – concern of what Brian Kelly was going to be able to do. Could he recruit at LSU? Could he connect with the team? Could he get players to buy in? And I don't know. I don't know about you, but first year, winning 10 games, winning a bowl game, winning the SEC West, beating Auburn, Florida, and Alabama, 
with inheriting a roster that barely had enough players to play in a bowl game, I think that's a pretty good uh, pretty good job. How would you rate Brian Kelly's first season at the helm of the LSU Tigers? Well, I, I thought um, you know after he beat Alabama, which came off you know a real big win over Ole Miss, um, you know I thought he was a national coach of the year candidate. But um, you know the loss to A and M kind of kind of hurt that. But I mean, when you look at the overall picture, he he did one of the best jobs of the of the first year coaches, but you know, there's two really great first-year coaches along with them in Lincoln Riley at USC and then uh, Sonny Dykes at TCU who's playing for the national championship. But, I mean, I, I definitely say, you know, he's in the top three of the first-year coaches and, and probably top five overall for uh, for coach of the year, you know, because you got to look at Kirby Smart for coach of the year as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he, uh, he did everything. You know, he, he rebuilt the roster through the portal, and through whatever recruiting he could throw together uh, at the last minute, and then just figuring out who to play where, which is, which to me is real coaching. You know, figuring out what to do with with what you have, and not just using some system you've always used. And uh, you know, they and, and you know they struggled early, but they really got the offense going with with Jaden Daniels, and the, the everything improved except the special teams. <laughs> Still had some crazy things happen, but. For the most part, you know, the whole team improved as, as the season went on. And then, you know, he started recruiting for this this next signing class and, and is doing well at that, too. So, you know, he, he's definitely online to do what uh, what he was hired to do. And, uh, I mean, he almost made the playoffs this year. You, you would think he'll make the college football playoff. You know, it's still four teams next year. Probably have a shot at that, but, you know, definitely make it when it goes to 12. But beyond that, I mean, I think he's going to be a, a national championship contender, if not this year, definitely the next year. Well, and the year that the playoff expands just so happens it will be his third season at the helm. And the right. third season at the helm of LSU worked out really well for Orgeron, Miles, and uh, Saban, as we know what happened in their third full, full seasons at the helm of that program. Let's uh, switch over from LSU and let's talk about the college football playoffs well, semifinals Saban was the fourth year yeah Saban fourth year you say Saban. Saban was the fourth year but, but yeah early on they they uh they definitely did it that's that's that shows you how great the uh the, the program is and the recruits close to the to the school but yeah and I think Brian hired a great staff too that that's the main thing and what really set him apart from Les and Coach O's final years was his uh his staff yeah and he's very hyper organized as well Glenn right I, I heard someone tell me uh, kind of off the record that, you know, even though he's not demonstrative like Nick is, it he, he reminds them how he's organized like Nick is, that it's very much he understands everything that's going on, everything's hyper-organized and very much structured, and that's very welcomed there right now in Baton Rouge compared to what they've had. Oh, I think so, definitely. He knows about both sides of the football Whereas Les and Ed kind of just stuck to, to their side, and, and Les and Ed were really good at it, uh, at flying by the seat of their pants. You know, it was, things were kind of unorganized, and you know, the, sometimes the recruiting classes were always missing a couple of positions or something, but they were able to just you know work it out. 
but uh, Kelly is much more like Saban than those two, and, and you can just see the plan. He's more like a uh, NFL personnel director, if you will, which is how Saban was. And, you know, he's going he's to have the roster uh, plentiful at all positions. And uh, I think he just – one thing Ed and Les did not do, the players tended not to improve that much once they got there. Maybe great at first. Uh, whereas Nick and Kelly, their, their players tend to keep improving through their last year. Uh, so I think you're going to continue to see that. But, yeah, he's uh, he's really organized, and he's, he's just a pro. You know, I mean, he's been doing this for a long time at all levels, which is uh, one of the amazing things about his uh, resume. And, and, you know, he, he got very close at Notre Dame, so then when you get to a place like LSU, which has easier access to recruits, um, you know, he's, he's going to win a national championship. The only question is who's going to win the first one, him, Jay Johnson, or Kim Mulkey. And some great hires there by, by the athletic director at LSU. Right. He's, yeah, he's just, he's just absolutely killing it. Uh, before I let you go, Glenn, national championship game is Monday. Uh, we finally got two very competitive classic semifinals in the college football playoffs. What do you make of this national title game matchup between the TCU Horn Frogs and the Georgia Bulldogs? Yeah, that was I mean, that was just two great back to back games. I felt like I was watching the NCAA basketball tournament on on Saturday. It had it had all the makings of a you know, a big upset and then a, a regional final as well. Uh and, and just think when they go to twelve, I mean it's gonna be that much more fun, especially with possible upsets. But you know, I, I um uh, I think Ohio State I mean, they, they kind of blew that game. They, they outplayed Georgia most of that game and should have won, and I think Georgia's going to have the same problem with TCU's offense it had with Georgia's offense, but I think Georgia's going to pull it out again. I mean, Stetson Bennett, he's cool hand Luke. He, he doesn't play well most of the game, but he finds a way at the end. Uh, so I think, I think Georgia will win a close game. And they'll become our first – back-to-back national champion in the college football playoff era, the previous five champions that tried to repeat all lost in the title game. Of course, that was all Alabama and Clemson, but it would be uh, something uh, rare, and it feels like uh, the Bulldogs could be the team to pull that off. Glenn, appreciate your time as always. Brother, keep up the great work that you're doing there with Outkick.com, and we'll talk to you soon, bud. Okay, thank you. Have a good morning. Thanks. we got to take a timeout. We'll wrap up our number two, update that poll question of the day. That's all coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Didn't get what you wanted from Santa? Hey, that was not a problem in the Parch household. The guy in the big red suit brought everyone what they wanted and what they needed. Happy wife happy daughter on Christmas morning. But maybe some of you didn't get what you wanted. Maybe Santa put coal in that stocking. Well, guess what? Not to worry, because we have the gifts you really want inside the game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com and 1041thegame.com. As a member of our rewards club, you're going to have the opportunity to score excellent prizes, like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou Casino Resort. You can also get yourself a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen, also there at Cypress Bayou. Oh, we're not done. 
you also have the opportunity to get yourself a $50 gift certificate to Richard Seafood Patio in Abbeville or a $40 gift card to Misfits Dine and Drink in Broussard. They're all there for you in our clubhouse, ready to be won. They're ready to be taken home with you, but you can only score them by becoming a member of our game clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. So go sign up today. It's free. It's simple. So go sign up today. Poll question of the day. What do you make of Texas A&M hiring Bobby Petrino? 65% of you say it's a desperate hire. 20% say it's a bad hire. 15% say it's a good hire. Ralph says, good hire for recruiters in the SEC. That Falcon and Arkansas stench ain't going away. Jimbo working hard to get that buyout. JPK the OD says this, this right here. And he shared a gift from Bob's Burgers of I'm literally grasping at straws. By the way, love that show. B-Rad says, desperation is a stinky cologne, and this reeks of it. Going to be like watching my favorite Saturday morning cartoon, and he shared a gif of Wiley Coyote failing of stopping the Roadrunner. And Darren, number one Raging Cajun fan of RP3 and Company, simply shared a gif of A&M's coaching staff, and it's a gif of the Three Stooges. It's a mess in College Station, and it does reek of desperation. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Keep those comments coming, leaving them on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids, and we'll share them throughout the final hour of today's edition of RP3 and Company. Final hour? What do we got lined up for you? How about John Sheeran from Cincy Jungle? What about Les East from CrescentCitySports.com? That's all coming up right here on The Game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Everything, everything. Everything gonna be all right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Final hour has arrived here of RP3 and company coming up in about a half hour from right now. John Sheeran from Cincy Jungle will join us as we get some information going on about what's going on with the Bengals. Once again, they were impacted as well by what happened in the Monday night football game that pretty much stopped the sports world in its tracks. Can the Bengals put that behind them, gear up? They have a big game this weekend and playoff positioning still on the table for Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and company. We'll break that down when John joins us half an hour from right now. But to kick off hour number three, it's time for us to talk New Orleans Saints, New Orleans Pelicans, with our guy Les East from CrescentCitySports.com. Les joins us now. Good morning, brother. How are you? Doing well, Raymond. How are you? I'm doing great, bud. I'm doing great. So let's start with the Pelicans because last night, no Zion Williamson. He's going to be out for a considerable amount of time with a hamstring issue. Yet they find a way to win with that lineup 
What do you make of what you saw from the Pelicans last night? I know it was against the woeful Rockets. I understand that. They may be the worst team in the NBA, but without two of their all-stars, Willie Green's team found a way to get the win. Yeah, they had another uh, team effort, which which has happened a lot when they've been without their best players. Uh, you could see right from the start of the game that C.J. McCollum um, took over. He, um, I think he scored their first five points, had ten points in the first quarter, kind of set the tone for the game uh, right from the outset. Jonas Valanciunas had a big game, Najee Marshall. Uh, Jose Alvarado came off the bench, had his best game probably in two or three weeks. Uh, so they, uh, they they came out and asserted uh, themselves right away against, a, uh, as you mentioned, one of the worst teams in the NBA and uh, just took care of business. And uh, it, it was impressive now, uh, but we'll find out a lot more. They have Brooklyn coming in tomorrow night that uh, just had their 12-game winning streak snapped, and then they go on the road for five games. So it, it will, it's going to be a lot more difficult going forward here without Zion, but uh, they took care of business in, in pretty impressive fashion last night. Is this lineup that we saw and how it was utilized, is this what we can expect to see while both Zion and B.I. are out? And what I mean by that, you take essentially the six-man Najee Marshall, you insert him into the starting lineup, and then they did a nice job of using Willie and Jackson, kind of split time to fill that void left by Zion, and they went with more of a smaller lineup, so to speak, do you think this is something that Willie's going to utilize moving forward, or was this just because it was against the Rockets? Well, generally, I think that's going to be the lineup he's going to go with, but and that can vary somewhat depending on matchups. Uh, you know, Trey Murphy the third has generally been the first guy they've gone to uh, from the bench when they've had to replace somebody in the starting lineup. You know, presumably they'll have Larry Nance Jr. back here soon. He's missed the last, I believe, three games with a, a, a shoulder problem, but he's sort of day-to-day. I think he'll be back soon. And then, you know, they could get Brandon Ingram back here at some point soon. He's missed 19 straight games with that toe injury, but he seems to be getting closer. So I assume he's going to be back before Zion will be. So, um, you know, it's going to be an evolution here as they get people back. But uh, for the most part, I think the the lineup and the rotation you saw last night is going to be the most common one. But that can always change because of matchups. We talked about them moving on from Jackson Hayes in the offseason less, and they didn't. They, they stayed pat. They kept him on the roster. I guess that was a, a wise decision after all making sure to have the big fella still on the on the team well we'll see he uh you know he he had a, a rough time earlier in the year now over the last couple of weeks he's gotten some opportunities because uh nance has been out and for the most part he's responded well to it um in order for him to be around long-term, they're going to have to make a, a, a new commitment to him with a contract. I don't know if that's likely to happen. Uh, so we'll see what happens with him. I think he will be somebody uh, that they'll bring into discussions when we get near the trade deadline uh, 
coming up uh, in the next several weeks uh, as somebody that they might want to move on. But uh, to his credit, he was, um, you know, at the far end of the bench for a good part of this season. And recently he's gotten an opportunity and he's been ready and he's had a few pretty good games here of late. So he still has some value to them and I think he could have some value uh, as a possible uh, part of a trade going forward. So we'll see what happens uh, with him. He, you know, at the end of last year, it looked like he had found his niche uh, playing in, at the power forward spot. And then at the beginning of the year, when Zion Williamson came back, he kind of um, vanished. And now he's playing fairly well. So he's, uh, you know, where all this winds up, I don't think anybody knows, but. He has played better of late. Zion is going to be reevaluated in three weeks. That does not mean that he's going to be ready to come back. That just means that he's going to be reevaluated. And we know the Pelicans like to be conservative when it comes to the health of their franchise player because, well, he's their franchise player. He's the face of the franchise. A hammy is a tricky thing, Les, right? Because it's so easy to re-aggravate the injury. Really, it all comes down to rest when it comes down with a hamstring. How concerning should it be for Pels fans about Zion and that hamstring? Well, the main concern is that they, they don't bring him back too soon. Correct. Because, uh, as you mentioned, that's a delicate thing, and you can aggravate it, and then it can wind up being uh, even worse the second time than it was the first. And uh, you're right that you know he's going to be reevaluated in three weeks, which means he's going to miss more than three weeks because they're not going to reevaluate him and say, okay, you can play tomorrow. They, they're going to reevaluate him and best case scenario is probably that he comes back, you know, within a week or so after that. So, you know, we're, we're probably looking at a month or so before he's able to play again. They, I think they are going to be conservative about it, but the, the main thing is that uh, they bring him back when he's healthy and there are no lingering effects, but, you know, we could easily be looking at, uh, February and it wouldn't be out of the question that it would be after the all-star break so you know I, I think the Pelicans fans just need to be patient and recognize that he's going to be gone for a while but they're uh, they're in good position now without him they've played well without him uh, England's probably going to be back soon so you know that this is a marathon and uh, he's going to be gone for a while but he's going to be back with plenty of time left in the regular season. We're talking with Les East. He covers the New Orleans Pelicans and the New Orleans Saints for ChristmasCitySports.com. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Les, they have a stretch here in the next three weeks where the majority of their games, I do believe, a majority of them, seven or eight of them, of the 11 or 12 are going to be on the road. And they have struggled on the road this season what does this team need to do without some of its best players and having to play a majority of these games on the road the next few weeks? What, what do they need to do? They ju- do they just need to kind of keep their head above water during this stretch, or do you believe they need to, to do something else? Well, I think they need to, uh, you know, figure out the, the best rotation that, that they can play with. I, I think they need to shore up their defense a little bit. That That's kind of lagged a little bit here of late 
Um, they, they need to uh, find out who is going to step forward uh, with Zion Williamson out. And uh, that, that's going to mean more minutes for Jackson Hayes, who we talked about. But it means that C.J. McCollum and Jonas Valanciunas, who were the, the primary guys last night, are going to have to continue to be important. They're going to uh, hopefully have to, uh, they're going to get uh, Ingram back here pretty soon, but they just have to, you know, play good basketball night in and out, night out, especially on the defensive end and, uh, you know, try and keep their head above water, as you said, on the road. There are some difficult games coming up. This road trip that begins after tomorrow night, I mean, they go to, you know, Dallas and they, they go to Washington and they go to Boston and they go to, uh, I think, Detroit and Cleveland. So, the, you know, other than maybe Detroit, there aren't really any breathers in there. So it's going to be very difficult. They just need to kind of keep themselves in the, the, the top four spots in the Western Conference uh, for the time being. And, and hopefully uh, Zion gets back sooner rather than later. We'll switch over to the gridiron. Saints have been eliminated from playoff contention, so they're just playing for pride and trying to build something and maybe try to build some momentum heading into the offseason. What type of effort do you expect to see come Sunday inside the Caesar Superdome against the Carolina Panthers to wrap up the regular season? Well, I think they'll play well. I think they'll play hard. We've seen that. They've won three games in a row. You know, they came out of the bye week after that terrible loss at at Tampa, and uh, their mission was to try and win their last four games, even though they knew they didn't control their own fate. And they, they've won the first three. Last week certainly was the most challenging of the games. And they went in the, to Philadelphia and won, even though, you know, the Eagles didn't have Jalen Hurts and several other important players. That was still an impressive victory, probably their best performance of the year. And, uh, the fact that they are mathematically eliminated now, I, I don't think changes that a whole lot because they, you know, made up their minds that they're going to, you know, play their best to finish out, and I expect that to continue on Sunday, and uh, you know, we'll see if they can finish up with with four straight wins. But they are, are clearly playing their best football of the year, and probably for the last nine games they've been one of the top five defenses in the nfl and i think that will be the key to the game on sunday is if they could keep doing that defensively what's going to be the biggest priorities this offseason well number one is they have to get under the salary cap they're more than 50 million dollars over the cap so they can't do anything until they get that fixed and then after that, I think they have to look at both lines of scrimmage. They've had uh, numerous injuries on the offensive line, uh, and defensive line did not perform up to their expectations. And that's you know where it all begins and ends. Nothing else is going to be successful if they aren't uh, effective uh, with their two lines. So I think that's where they have to figure out uh, – what they're going to do going forward. Of course, they have to resolve the quarterback situation. They have to see what they're going to do with Mike Thomas. But I think both lines of scrimmage are where it all begins once they get their finances in order. Are they going to be able to do that with 
without getting picks for, say, Sean Payton if he decides not to coach? Well, it will be harder. But, you know, I, I think that this whole Sean Payton thing and the, the trading of the, the, the number one pick to move up last year uh, to get Chris Olave, and, uh, you know, I, I think that tends to get overblown, you know. It, no individual number one pick is going to make or break any team in the NFL. Okay, it would be nice to have the number one pick this year. It would be nice to get a number one pick for Sean Payton, uh, but it's a 53-man roster, and and a lot of number one picks don't even have an impact in their first year. So, uh, yeah, it becomes harder uh, if they don't get a number one uh, for Sean Payton if he doesn't come back somewhere else, but. You know, there are trades and there are free agency. There is free agency, and the Saints have done a good job with undrafted free agents. So there are a lot of ways to upgrade the the roster. So they're they're not going to be made or broken by any individual draft choice. Who do you think is on the roster right now that is more than likely going to be made to be not on the roster this offseason? less if you had to guess oh i don't know it's probably uh too soon for me at least to to start projecting that there there are a lot of candidates uh based on salary cap considerations age considerations injury considerations uh you know i i think you know one one name that comes to mind would be Jarvis Landry, you know, the receiver from LSU that they brought in. That didn't work out. Uh, he, he's not, um, you know, he's getting older. He's had a lot of injuries. So it didn't work out. Tyron Matthew didn't work out. But there are a lot of guys who have been on the team for a while that, that didn't play as well this year. You know, David Onyemata didn't have as good a year as you would have expected. And that's, Right off the top of my head, I'm not sure of the contract situations of everybody on hand, but uh, I would say that there's at least a dozen players who have been contributors to this team or were expected to be significant contributors who might not be back because they have to save that $50-plus million from the payroll. Is Jameis Winston going to be on this team next season? I would think not. Um, they, they've made it clear that they don't think he's the guy to lead this offense by not giving him a single snap since he became healthy enough to play. And uh, I think he understands that uh, he's not going to get an opportunity here. So it doesn't look like they want him, and I don't understand why he would want to be here. So uh, I would think it it's unlikely that he'll be on the team next year, even though he's under contract. Les, appreciate your time, as always, and your insight, brother. Keep up the tremendous work that you're doing there with CrescentCitySports.com. Hope you have a, a tremendous weekend, and we'll talk to you on Thursday, bud. Thanks, Raymond. Hey, just a reminder, the new year has arrived. Guess what's coming up next? Marty Graw. It's going to be here in no time at all. And you can get Marty Graw started the right way with a real fun run. 
Trail presents the Lundy Grawl Barathon Monday, February 20th. It's four miles through Freetown, just south of the parade route. Wear a costume and enjoy free drinks throughout the course served at the adult hydration station. A party bus will follow close behind so runners can jump aboard at any time, run all or some or none. The audience is going to vote for the winner of the costume contest, so bring your loudest, craziest Mardi Gras friends. It's the Lundy Grawl Barathon. Free drinks, food, and prizes. Register now at latrail.org. That's latrail.org. we got to take a time out. More RP3 and company coming up right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. Soccer? Isn't this great, man? I love soccer. Here we go, Galaxy. Here we go. Okay, maybe not soccer. But we'll try to do our best. Back to more knowledgeable sports talk with RP3 and company on, on the, the game. game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. In this era of the modern athlete, everyone's trying to get an edge. Parents are trying to help their children develop, whether that's with camps or with tutoring or with training. Players, they're trying to get more uh, notice, more notoriety, trying to get out there to get their name out there so they can get an opportunity to better themselves. Our next guest is a man trying to do just that for the modern student athlete and the parents of the modern student athlete. It's Jacob Henderson from Skill Masters. He's going to tell us all about this revolutionary app that's it's all about training, development, tutoring, mentoring, and recruiting. He joins us now here on RP3 and Company. Jacob, good morning to you. Happy New Year, brother. Uh, happy New Year to you, and I appreciate uh, having us here. Uh, we're excited with what the year is going to bring for the athletes that we support. And overall, just the, the player development that, that we bring to players in the community, players in the area, um, and that we bring across the country. So excited to be on. Jacob, just tell us a little bit about what Skill Masters is all about and, and what you guys are offering to not only parents but to the student-athlete. Yeah, absolutely. So we started Skill Masters uh, with the total player development in mind. Growing up in a small area, I always felt that it was – we had to travel to go get what we felt was the best coaching, the best training, especially in smaller sports like soccer, uh, especially in this area where, you know, while it's up and coming and we have some great clubs, you know, with, with the Dynamo and the Rush on the, on the uprise – um, you know, starting at a young age at five and, you know, just getting the love of the game, the joy of the game, we do a really good job there as we start to accelerate, you know, across the whole country, especially in soccer and in smaller sports. You know, uh, our purpose is to help bring that, that professional level of training, that professional level of engagement, that professional level of understanding the sport you're playing, the sport you love, uh, to the athlete. And, and that's what we, 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 we built Skill Masters for. What was the genesis for uh, this app and this project? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we actually started with a club out in San Diego uh, that my brother runs. They were having a tough time with what to do with their athletes when they left the field, right? Most of the time, no matter what level you're training, even all the academy level, um, you're only getting three days, you know, about five to six hours on the pitch with your coach. There's a lot of time in between where these athletes, they're either unsure of what they want to do when they do want to do work, um, and or we don't have visibility as their coach, as their trainer, into what their regimen is like outside of practice. So that's the genesis of where we started. Um, and what that meant is we looked at, okay, if I'm an organization, what do I need to service my athletes better, right? 
is it strength and conditioning? Is it agility? And so what we have um, from an organization level, from a coaching and personal training level, is the ability to do just that. So every athlete that comes onto the application, right, we're going to baseline them. We're going to see what their mobility is. We're going to see what their strength is. We're going to see what their conditioning is. In individual sports, we look at a tactical level, right? What's their tactical understanding of the game? We look at their technical capabilities. So, you know, in soccer specifically, you know, how well do they pass? How well do they receive? Um, in golf, right, your swing mechanism. So, um, you know, what is your swing pass? What does your club face impact look like? So these are all the things we do when um, an athlete joins our platform. And it's the same thing that organizations have the ability to do with their athletes when they put them on here. Um, and so that, that's really where it started. Um, and obviously it's grown. We started in soccer. Now we're moving into golf. And so we're excited with where the future is going. Um, but, that, yeah, that's, that's kind of how we got this thing rolling. You guys help with health, nutrition, give recommendations that way, workout regimens, the whole nine yards. You know, what can people expect to see when they go download the app and sign up? So kind of as I, as I mentioned, right, so the first thing we're going to do is we're going to baseline. Um, and that's baseline you from an entire player development standpoint. Um, as you mentioned, right, what are your, your habits, your eating habits, your daily habits? How often do you have to, you know, put in time to, to do what you want to do? Uh, we then start to look at what is your schedule, right? So a lot of athletes, young athletes especially, play multiple sports. So you'll sit down with our, you know, sports performance team, and we'll look at, all right, what are the optimal times of the year that we want to peak? You know, what does our schedule need to look like? And that helps us balance the load as, as we go through the training regimen that we're going to give you. Um, and so, you know, when you log in, you know, it's, it's a free version. It's a free app that you can go and just see kind of what are the drills that we have there. Um, but once you move into some of our, our paid versions, that's where you start to get that one-on-one, you know, that team management, that team aspect of what we bring to the athlete um, and to the organization. What kind of advantage is it for having something like this, having a system that can appeal to both parents and the kids alike and both can use it with ease? So it all comes down to even if you're not the athlete that you feel you are right now or, you know, you're just looking for, for that little edge. Um, that's, that's what we're able to provide. So, you know, at the end of the day, there's a lot of kids out there that, that are pursuing the dream of a college scholarship, that are pursuing the dream of professional athletes, that are pursuing the dream of just starting on their varsity high school team and whatever sport that may be, right? Those are tough things to do uh, given the amount of kids that are also trying to do it. So, you know, we our goal is to always keep it fun, but we also understand that, you know, there's a serious side to this. Um, and, and the serious side to us is not so much in the strictness in the way that we, we teach athletes, but more so in the, the schedule, the regimen that, that we do. And if we follow that, you know, with consistency and you have a team behind you that's going to push you and back you and keep you motivated, then you'll certainly see the results that, you know, maybe not to the professional level, but there'll be that improvement and we'll look at the goals along the way and we'll help you get there. Um, and so that's really what you can expect when you, you know, you, get, you join the skill masters application um, and you sign up with, you know, the player development side of the application. Jacob, tell the folks where they can go to find more information about what you guys are doing with skill masters and where they can go to download the app. Sure. So um, our website, skillmasters.io, um, it's kind of funny. Some people may not hear it. It is, uh, it's .io, so it's not the .com. So, that's one thing to keep in mind. You can also go into the app store um, and just search Skill Masters, and the application will, will show up. You know, just as a reminder right now, we're in soccer, we're in golf. You know, as we evolve and we grow, we're going to move into other sports. Um, but that's really what we've been focusing on with our player performance team and, and what we have, you know, the best team built around in regards to that. You know, in, in regards to golf, we have CEA and WGTF Hall of Fame uh, coaches that will be there with your team. 
you know, our player performance team is, you know, made up of people that have dealt with professional athletes, college athletes, elite high school athletes. So we got a really good team put together to help people grow and reach their, their goals. Um, but yeah, check us out on the app store. We're on Android, we're on iOS. Um, and then at our website, skillmasters.io. Jacob, appreciate your time. Can't wait to talk to you next week and every week after that to dive more into what you guys are doing. Thank you so much. Hope you enjoy the rest of your week, bud. We'll talk to you next Thursday. All righty. Sounds good. I appreciate it, Ray. Now that you scored that Amazon Alexa or Google Home smart speaker for Christmas, you can now use it to listen to the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Just ask your Alexa or Google Home to play the game, Southwest Louisiana. Once again, just ask it to play the game, Southwest Louisiana. It's that easy. So do the smart thing and have the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, with you at your office, your home, and everywhere you go. we got to take a timeout, but coming up, John Sheeran, our buddy from Cincy Jungle, going to talk Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, and the Cincy. Cincinnati Bengals. That's all coming up next right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion Houston Astros. There are two types of sports reporters. Those who are respected for their ability at building relationships with coaches and players. And here's our game plan. Then there are those whose method of reporting is getting hammered with a college football team at Pat O's. You guess which one RP3 is. Back to more RP3 and Company on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Don't forget to get your votes in and get your comments in on our poll question of the day. What do you make of Texas A&M hiring Bobby Petrino? Do you think it's a good hire? Do you think it's a bad hire? Or do you think it's a hire of desperation? By the way, there's only really one real truthful answer here, and it's the last one. It's desperate, by the way. Very, very desperate. Texas A&M says, hey, you know what? We're going to hire the guy who's the O.C., for UNLV. He hasn't, hasn't coached a game yet, but he's going to be our guy that's going to take our offense to the next level. Get those votes in. Get those comments in. Final week of the regular season is upon us, and there's a lot of uncertainty. And of course, it all stems from what occurred on Monday Night Football. DeMar Hamlin, the Buffalo Bills safety, collided with T. Higgins, Cincinnati Bengals wide receiver, He appeared to be okay. Routine football play popped up. Two seconds later, fell down. We know the rest now. Suffered cardiac arrest. They had to perform CPR and use a defibrillator to restore his heartbeat. They had to do it again at the hospital where he remained still in critical condition. But the game has been postponed. Not necessarily canceled, but postponed. So that leaves some football things in limbo. How do both of these teams respond to that? How do these teams get on the field again and play an actual football game, which both have to do in key matchups? The Bills take on the Patriots with a playoff spot on the line, more than likely for New England. Cincinnati, meanwhile, is taking on Baltimore. The division is still on the line. To break it down from the Bengals' perspective is our good friend from Cincy Jungle. John Sheeran joins us now. John, good morning to you. Happy New Year, brother. How are you today? Yeah, happy new year, RP3. Glad to have, glad to be back on. 
So let's start off with how does this team get ready to play a football game after what occurred Monday night against the Bills? I I really don't have an answer because like it, this has only ever happened, I guess, once. And it was 50 years ago when uh, Chuck Hughes uh, really did pass away on the field for the Detroit Lions, and he was officially declared uh, dead like 60 minutes later after the game ended. Like, this has happened in some variations across sports. You have Christian Erickson, who suffered cardiac arrest during the Euros. You had uh, Chris Pronger, who I think suffered cardiac arrest or his heart stopped in a very similar way that DeMar Hamlin did um, 25 years ago in the NHL playoffs. It's a very rare thing in sports, but it's even more rare in football, which is surprising. There's been a billion collisions from a helmet or shoulder to a chest, and we've never seen something like this happen really right before our, our eyes. Like things have happened in practice, things have ha- happened with the cameras off, but th- like the trauma that all of those players, coaches, and fans all shared watching from afar or in the stadium, it, it takes a toll. And I, I certainly don't blame players who are still very much going through it they realize that you know like this is a business and things just unfortunately have to keep moving because that's the way things are like they've worked very hard over the past several months to be in this situation right now but I think Zach Taylor put it best like you can you can move forward but you don't necessarily have to move past what happened you can still be dealing with it you can still be going through it but there's also recognition that you do eventually have to to move forward at the same time. And that's well said, and I think that's probably the right approach that this team has to take. T. Higgins, though, is in a unique situation of any of the Bengal players because he's the one that collided with Hamlin. And even though it's a routine football play, he didn't do anything wrong. It wasn't a dirty play. The man that he collided with on the field had cardiac arrest, and that's got – to linger and that's got to bother him and and that's got to play a role here I you know I I have no idea how how he gets over that um I I know obviously his teammates will help him but that's got to be an enormous obstacle mentally for the star wide receiver for the Cincinnati Bengals for sure and it's it's the same thing it's like players have I'm sure experienced similar things where like they are the cause of some injuries, but again, like a, a broken bone or a fractured bone or a broken li- or torn ligament, like it, it, it pales in comparison to someone's heart being stopped by something that like, uh, I'm going to quote uh, the Buffalo news is a constellation of incredibly bad luck. Like it's literally just a matter of 30 milliseconds with precise contact to a certain part of the chest where it, it's right in rhythm with where or where your heart is or is not beating and that's what unfortunately can cause something like this so obviously t is going or at least in the in this process has probably blamed himself because who wouldn't in this situation there, there is definitely that factor of guilt there and as long as he is in good company and people giving him good spirits like that that's all that we can hope for because it, it, it's silly of us to think that He's, he's going to be in a good frame of mind immediately after this happens. Like, n- none of us would be in, in that situation. So I really do hope that people are giving him all the comfort and, and praise and everything in between as he goes through this. 
it's not resolved the issue on how the NFL is going to deal with the suspended, postponed game, right? So we're still in limbo about that. We know it's not going to get played this week, and this is the week of the regular season. I just don't understand, John, and maybe you can help me understand this, that you don't have another week to play games, right? There's not a makeup window here because the playoffs begin the following week. And Cincinnati and Buffalo, depending on how things pair out, one of them is going to be playing in the first week of the postseason during wildcard weekend. So uh, what's the latest you can tell us? And why is the NFL dragging its feet just to not say, you know what, we've suspended this game. It's now postponed. It's going to be a no contest or it's going to be a tie or whatever it may be. Why is this taking so long? I suppose that because they've never been in this situation, like we, we, we watched them play 256 games during a year where COVID like suspended and delayed a bunch of games. They were eventually able to finish out pretty much every season that they've ever had. They've never had a situation where they've had to postpone and suspend a game, not because of weather or because of anything else, because literally someone is hard has stopped in the middle of the game. Like this is truly an unprecedented situation. And I feel like they were going through every possible scenario to eventually finish out this this season for the sake of competitive balance and everything that goes with that. So I feel like that is what has been taking so long. It's been questionable how we've heard them, you know, provide updates and announcements without like a clear final solution. It's been a little bit uh, b- bizarre for me to see. I do think that eventually this will be just end up being a no contest because there there is no fair alternative that works out for every single side. You can either resume the game, which would benefit the Bengals probably way more than the than the Bills having them come back down to the same stadium, to the same field where this happened so soon, that would just be not fair to them at all. Obviously, no contest would not be great for the Ravens or the Bengals because that would greatly you know, put the Bengals in a bad spot in terms of playoff seeding. There is no real fair outcome for any of this, but the no contest basically means like it's less, it's the least amount of work and it puts the less, the least amount of stress on everyone. Playoff seeding be damned. Like the number one priority here is that someone nearly died. He's still fighting for his life in the hospital, and we just all need to respect that. If they go no contest, what does that mean for playoff seeding? So the Bengals, in, in, in their sense, like the one seed is still technically alive. The Chiefs and the Bills would have to lose, the, and the Bengals, I, I believe, would have to win or, or something like that. But that, that might, that actually might be if they resume the game. Like essentially, all they can ask for is the number two seed at this point, and that's if the Bills lose to the Patriots, the Bengals beat the Ravens. If it, if it is a no contest, they would go off winning percentage. So they've already picked up the AFC North crown with, without even doing anything. Um, if they lose to the Ravens, it would be, I think, locked in to the number three seed. So it's looking like the two or three seed more, more, more likely than anything. The, the only way they could be a wild card is if they resume the game, which, again, I, I just don't foresee happening. So... Both the Bengals and the Ravens have clinched playoff berths in the AFC, but you're saying that Cincinnati has already locked up the the North title, so that means there's nothing really to play for for either team come Sunday then, right? It, yeah, it's really just seeding at, at that point. If the Bengals want to be the two seed, which in this case would um, pre- prevent, or it would help them potentially not travel to Buffalo if they were to play each other in the divisional round, Buffalo would be the three seed again. If they lose to New England and the Bengals uh, beat beat the, um, the the Baltimore Ravens in that case, so yeah. 
So they have already locked up the division. They know they're going to the postseason, just really about seeding. So that kind of helps uh, with the uncertainty for this weekend. Well, let's put away everything that happened Monday and, and everything that this week has encompassed, John. What's been the big difference for this team as they now head to the postseason? They've won seven straight before Monday night's game was suspended. What's been the big difference for the Bengals in the last two months of the season compared to how they started? Well, it's certainly not been perfect as seen by uh, the, the the Buccaneers game and the, and the Patriots game. It's been it's been inconsistent at times, but I think the biggest difference between now and the beginning of the season is just their offense is way more sustainable, way more consistent. Last year, when we talked on a weekly basis, it was a lot of explosive plays, right? It was just surviving despite Burrow being sacked a record amount of times because you had those explosive options on the outside that cornerbacks just couldn't do anything against you. And then defenses had to adapt. They went to two to, to high shells. And then Burrow just started taking literally what the defense gave him. And they've, got, they've gotten a lot of yards after catch on these little short passes uh, underneath these zone coverages. And whenever they've had chances to go over the top, they've taken advantage of that. And they can still do that on a, on like a, at a high rate of effectiveness because they're still really good in that area. The defense remains as clutch as ever, even if they, they unfortunately did give up a second half touchdown, which they didn't for the first seven weeks of the season. They, they still come up big in those clutch moments, still able to provide turnovers when they absolutely need absolutely needed it's just a really complete team and I think it's fully rounded out by the offense really finding a way how to succeed despite defenses catching on to what they did last year John appreciate your time as always brother tell the people how they can follow you on social media and where they can go to to get all your great content yeah just follow our coverage at cincyjungle.com everything including the, the podcast the orange black and center Bengals podcast is on there brother Thank you for your time, man. Happy New Year to you and yours, and we'll talk to you soon, bud. Thank you. It's John Sheeran from Cincy Jungle. Look, it's how does T. Higgins get over this? How do the Bengals get over this? How do they remain focused? What is the NFL going to do? Lots of uncertainty the final weekend of the regular season for the National Football League. we got to take a timeout. When we come back, we'll finalize the poll question of the day and get you set up for Kevin Foote and footnotes. That's all next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and the World Series champion, Houston Astros. Uh, the undefeated LSU women's basketball team takes on Texas A&M in SEC action tonight at the Pete Maravich Assembly Center. Pre-game begins at 7.30 and tip is set for 8 o'clock. And you can listen to it live here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. I want to take a moment to thank our guest. Oh, we had some good ones today, didn't we? We had some good ones. Uh, Glenn Gilbo, our friend from OutKick, talking college football, talking a little LSU as well. We also had our good friend, yes, 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 Les East from CrescentCitySports.com. Talking Saints, talking Pels, and we also had John Sheeran from Cincy Jungle. Appreciate everyone for their time today. Final results of the poll question of the day. We asked you about the Bobby Petrino hire. How do you feel about it? Is it a good hire? Is it a bad hire? Or is it a desperate hire? Final results, 65% of you say it's a desperate hire. 22% say bad hire. 13% say a good hire. 
Mr. Green on the Twitter says, I hated how he came to the Hogs, and I hated the mess he left the Hogs. Honestly, I felt he should have been blackballed a long time ago. He's he's one that never changes. Yeah, not exactly going to be a popular hire. Doug says, I can see Jimbo handing Bobby his playbook and telling him, these are the plays I want you to call. Thanks to all who voted on our poll question of the day and left your comments. That's going to do it for today's edition of the show. We'll be back tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Kevin Foot and Footnotes is up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and World Series champion Houston Astros.